Hello everybody, welcome back to the third episode of this podcast. Um, yeah, if you have listened to the other ones and you listen to this, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and also if this is your first episode that you're listening to, that's also amazing. Then I can also just mention that like in the first episode that I do, then um, I give like a longer introduction of like myself and why I want to do this podcast and so on and the goal of this podcast. So feel free to go back and listen to that if you want. Uh, but today we're talking with Otto and uh, it's Otto Barton. So Otto is a physicist, engineer, entrepreneur and the founder of the Existential Risk Observatory. Uh, and yeah, like the topic for this episode will be existential risk. So that's why I brought him in on this. <laughs> and um, Otto, like in the past, he had been working on uh, the energy transition by designing wind turbines and he's also founded a startup company in smart charging and when he learned about existential risk however he decided to retarget his career to what he believes is the most important issue of the 21st century he therefore founded the existential risk observatory as mentioned a dutch non-profit aiming at reducing human extinction risk by informing the public debate about its most likely causes he grew the organization to a six-person team and the first funding and now serves as its director. As I said in the first episode of this podcast list that we will be focusing somewhat on like effective altruism and so on. And existential risk is one of the things um, which a lot of people in the like effective altruism movement are talking about. So that's also why I thought it would be good to talk with Otto about this um to give a better understanding of like what are we talking about when we're talking about existential risk so this is a 101 conversation about what existential existential risk is or x risks uh, so if you're new to it I, I think this is a good episode uh, but if you already know a lot about existential risk then i'm not so sure how good this episode is for you but of course please give it a listen um let me know if we missed anything and uh, let me know if you have any feedback at all, yeah. Okay, so here is to the conversation between me and Otto Barton. Um, yeah, hi Otto. <laughs> hi, thanks for the hospitality. <laughs> yeah, thanks. thanks for coming. Nice meeting you here. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it a lot. And especially for the topic of today, uh, which is, will be like existential risk. Um, so um, yeah, um, do you want to maybe explain to us like what what is like existential risk like what's the one-on-one -on -one for that yes definitely um so existential risk is the the uh, risk that we will forego uh, the future of um of humanity so basically the future of humanity is an, it's an extremely big uh, uh thing but it's it's even much bigger i think than, than many people think um, so the, the amount of years that we would have ahead of us um, is, is by orders of magnitude larger than the amount of years that we've had as humanity, so far about 300,000. Um, mm -hmm. And also the, the space ahead actually, because it's quite likely that we will develop new technology um, that's even more capable and probably vastly more capable than what we have right now. Mm. Um, so um, with that, we could also uh, use the, the space that, that's in the universe uh, to a probably bigger extent than what we're doing right now. So the, the future mm. is, an, is an extremely big uh, uh, thing. Um, and existential risks are the way to not have that future. Um, so that could be by human extinction, um, but it could also be uh, a permanent uh, dystopia. So this is also uh, included in the, in, uh, in the definition of existential risk. 
because it would be one way to permanently not have this great future that we uh, have ahead of us otherwise. Mm, exactly. And and how how do you work uh, with that? Um, yeah, so um, I'm the founder of the Existential Risk Observatory. Um, and the Existential Risk Observatory is an organization that is trying to reduce existential risk by informing the public debate. Um, because um, quite surprisingly, um, these topics are not really part of the public debate right now. Mm. There is scientific research about this. Uh, existential risk is a, is a research field. So there are academics, especially at uh, Oxford and Cambridge universities, that are uh, researching into the most likely uh, existential risks. Um, and also um, yeah, are, are um, giving some guidance of how to reduce those existential risks. Mm. But it's not really a public debate at this point. Um, and that's what we're trying to change at the Existential Risk Observatory, because we think that it's more um, um, that we could reduce uh, existential risk more effectively if we would be informed about the most likely causes. Exactly. And that's why it's amazing to talk about it here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, so... Okay, so how do you feel we should uh, dig deep into this? Like, um, yeah. It's, it's probably a good uh, uh, way to go over the, the most likely existential risks as the, the current yeah. research is, uh, is pointing them out because this is kind of a surprise actually. Uh, when I was um, um, getting into existential risk before I was very much into to climate, I was doing sustainable energy technology and um, um, doing wind turbine design, for example, and uh, working on a startup. Um, also doing climate activism, but I was uh, very much into climate, which is really into this in the societal debate. Mm. Um, but I was thinking that, okay, um, if these are uh, human extinction risks, the, because this is such a big topic, uh, you would expect this also to be a significant part of the public debate. Um, but surprisingly, it is not. Um, and the most um, uh, the, the existential risks that are um, actually rated most uh, likely by, by uh, research are, are not really uh, the most discussed ones. So maybe we can go over that. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's do that. And so what, what is that? Yeah, all right. Uh, so <laughs> that's a nice cliffhanger. So the, the biggest existential risk uh, uh, so far, according to research, is uh, artificial intelligence. Um, so this would be um, artificial general intelligence means... Um, basically an AI that could perform uh, at human level uh, across the board, so over many different tasks. Mm. Right now we have artificial intelligence uh, that can do one thing uh, pretty good and in some cases much better than we can, such as playing chess or playing Go or um, mm. uh, recommending uh, something to you on Spotify. Um, but it cannot do everything uh, at human level. And artificial general intelligence is the hypothetical AI that hasn't been invented yet. Uh, that could do everything at least as uh, as well as we can. Um, and the risk is then that it could also, or one of the risks is then that it could also self-improve, uh, since it could uh, it could do anything at least as well as we can. Um, creating artificial intelligence is also a task that we are doing at this point. We are doing AI research, we're doing uh, hardware research, and we're improving uh, computers' capabilities and AI's capability in, uh, in this way. Mm. Um, so this is now a human task. And by definition, if the AGI can do anything as well as we can, um, it could also do those tasks as, uh, as well as we can. Mm. So an AI could, uh, could self-improve or it can prove, could improve other AIs or there would be some combination of a human plus an AI. Uh, but we would be expecting that uh, the AI capability from that point, from AGI, uh, would improve rapidly. 
Um, and that is uh, a, a concern there is about uh, whether we could still uh, control this, uh, this AGI. If it has some purpose that is not our purpose, um, then we would have a conflict and it would basically quite likely win out because of its vastly higher intelligence. Mm. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, it may sound a little sci-fi, uh, but it's <laughs> a, a, a main concern of, of many um, AI safety academics, many existential risk academics, mm. and also about half roughly of the, uh, according to surveys, of the uh, mainstream uh, AI uh, development world. People are, who are not really into mm. uh, AI safety or existential risk, but just developing AI for commercial purposes or for academic uh, uh, purposes. Okay. Um, about half of those researchers also thinks that there's a significant uh, chance of, of human extinction because of uh, artificial intelligence. Wow, that's really interesting. That's such a high number as well. Yeah, yeah. I think so too, yeah. Yeah, uh, but okay, so it can both be like really, yeah, like it can be really bad, uh, but it can also be really good, I guess. Exactly, right? yeah. That's uh, that's. I think that's true for most of the existential risks. Uh, most of the yeah. existential risks, the, mm. the, the larger ones are, are technology-based. Mm. Uh, and these are so dangerous because this technology is so powerful. If it wouldn't be that powerful, then, uh, then it couldn't do much harm either. Mm. Uh, but because this technology is so powerful, the upside is also quite large. Mm. Uh, so I agree that that AI could also do really awesome things for sure. Um, mm. And it could, if you could automate the uh, people's thinking, uh, we've already automated, of course, our our uh, physical capabilities. But if we could also automate our mental capabilities, which is mm. what most of the economy is now running on, uh, that's a very big big deal. Hmm. Okay, so AI is one of them, or like the biggest one. Uh, According to uh, yeah, a quantification by Toby Ord, so Toby Ord put numbers on the uh, on these risks and yeah. tried to rank them kind of like from the the highest risk to uh, to the lower ones. Mm. Um, and he says that, uh, or he estimates very roughly that uh, AI is about a ten percent chance of uh, becoming uh, or uh, causing human extinction. Exactly. And for the ones who don't know, uh, who is Toby? So, yeah, uh, good point. Uh, Toby Ortiz, an uh, existential risk academic. He's working at the Future of Humanity Institute in Oxford. Mm, amazing, thanks. Okay, so what are some of the other uh, big uh, ex existential risks or the biggest threats? So uh, what's considered number two on the list is uh, bio-risk. Uh, that means biotechnology and then especially a man-made pandemic. Um, because um, mm. at this point, of course, we have regular pandemics um, such as COVID and, and the, the many others that we've had before. Uh, these generally do not cause human extinction. Um, and we've had a 300,000 year track record uh, of not going extinct. So mm. apparently the chance that this happens is really small. So for the next 100 years, this is also uh, um, yeah, quite, quite a small chance. And we're fairly sure that a purely natural pandemic um, is not going to cause a human extinction. Mm -hmm. Now, we are making some, some uh, modifications to our world, of course, like factory farming, for example, um, or going into the wild uh, more and more and uh, being into contact perhaps with animals that, uh, that we were less into contact with before. So mm. we should um, um, perhaps that the risk of natural pandemics is also higher because of those, uh, those reasons. Mm. Um, but still, the chance that a purely natural pandemic uh, is going to cause human extinction is very small. Uh, but for man-made pandemics, we don't really have this certainty. Because right now, of course, we have access to bioengineering. Uh, so we can, uh, we, we can engineer something purposefully to be harmful. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the main risk as well, that at some point in the next 100 years, given the, the, um, um, 
improvements in uh, bioengineering that we can expect um, that that someone will be able to to do that as well um, and it's going to so that's that's uh, that's also a main existential risk hmm. has there been do you know like has there been any like examples of that so far um, like? I, I don't think there has been a man-made pandemic so far uh, ex- excluding COVID I guess the, the mainstream yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so let's let's not go into that discussion too yeah, much yeah. but <laughs> but let's just assume that COVID is, is for now a natural pandemic yeah um, then I, I don't think there has been a, a man-made pandemic so far uh, there is a bet though by Martin Rees one of the founders of the uh, Center for the Study of Existential Risk he thinks that there's uh, about a 50-50 chance i think that um that there's going to be either uh, uh an uh, bioterror or bio bio error so uh, either someone is going to to commit a terrorist attack with uh, biotechnology or there's going to be an error or something leaking from the lab for uh, for example mm. uh, that is going to cause at some point perhaps uh, uh, a man-made pandemic but so far we didn't have that uh, that yet fortunately and let's try to make sure that that doesn't happen either yeah Agreed. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. <laughs> okay, so um, okay, should should we cover some more risks first, maybe, and then maybe go back to them and understand like what we can do to prevent them, maybe? Yeah, yeah, that that sounds great. Um, okay, yeah. So I, I would say um, other lists on this this um, um, of, of this overview. So I think nanotech is another one. Uh, people are a little bit less, uh, afraid now of nanotechnology, um, existential risk since, the, the progress of the, the science has not, uh, gone as, as crazy fast as AI, for example, or, or biotechnology. Hmm. Um, so mostly because of that reason, uh, this as an existential risk this is not on the map so much, uh, anymore. Uh, but in the 90s, people were very worried about uh, uh, nanotechnology as an existential risk. So it's still uh, something to, to to mention, I think. And what um, is that? Uh, so it's basically just a technology that can manip- uh, um, manipulate uh, matter on a molecular scale. So mm-hmm. so on a, on a nanoscale. Um, yeah, it can can make nanobots, for example, that can, uh, uh, can, can have useful uh, medical applications or it can restructure matter in any way uh, that you would like so again something which uh, which has a very big upside as well if you can use it uh, wisely and uh, Hmm. uh, well but uh, there could also be a big downside Hmm. Uh, (laughs) this has been called the gray goose scenario by the way so basically the the scenario is that someone makes a a nanobot that's uh, self-replicating and it can just run on something simple like water for example Mm. Um, and then it's restructuring all this water into some something else, like, uh, uh, and then uh, this could also, yeah, potentially go really badly if it's not managed carefully. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't heard much about that actually. Yeah. No, it's a fairly. Uh, it, it's it's not as much now in the in attention anymore. But uh, yeah. but but if nanotechnology would really develop rapidly, then this is definitely also something to to manage. I think. Mm. Okay. Next. And uh, yeah, as, <laughs> as, as maybe, so the last one of the technology based is also mm-hmm. an interesting one, is the unknown unknowns. Uh, mm-hmm. So what we're now trying to do is forecast the, the existential risks for the next 100 years. Uh, but of course, no one has a clue uh, what the next 100 years of scientific progress is going to look like. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, you can compare it to if you would have done this exercise in 1920. Uh, then you would not have known really about uh, nuclear technology. You wouldn't really have known about climate change in, in much detail. Uh, you would not really have known about artificial intelligence or nanotechnology of all these other things uh, that, that are now on the, on the map. 
so probably you're missing out the most important uh, risks. And of course, scientific development is continuing and scientific technology is uh, um, steadily improving. Mm. Um, so it's quite likely that you're also missing actually potentially the highest risks um, if you're just, uh, um, because we, we simply don't know yet what the technology is going to look like for the next 100 years. Mm. So unknown unknowns are also something to keep track of. And it's kind of an abstract category and it's, it can be hard to, to think of what to do about it. But uh, yeah. I guess we'll go into that next anyway. So Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and um, maybe it's, it's also interesting to, to mention uh, the things that, that are not too high on the existential risk list because these are actually the things I think that most people will be thinking of. Uh, yeah. And one is nuclear, uh, of course, nuclear war. Mm -hmm. Nuclear war could definitely cause human extinction through nuclear winter. Um, not really through the, the bombs themselves because it's actually, this is uh, more or less a local thing, an, an atomic bomb. So uh, if you actually would like to extinguish humanity by completely, by only using nuclear bombs, the direct effect, and it's, it's pretty hard, uh, actually. Mm. And this is very unlikely to take place, uh, fortunately. Um, but there is also a nuclear winter. There has been uh, research about this, and it seems fairly likely, although I don't think there's complete scientific agreement on this. Uh, but that, that nuclear uh, bombs could also cause nuclear winter by uh, burning, uh, burning a city, and then uh, there would be soot uh, transmitted into the atmosphere, high into the atmosphere, um, which would not rain down anymore. And therefore it would uh, um, yeah, basically obliterate the sun and uh, um, uh, reducing the global temperatures by something, I think, in the order of magnitude of 10 degrees or something. So a really drastic uh, mm. uh, climate effect. Um, and that could also be, be uh, uh, the first step of, uh, of human extinction potentially. So. Mm. But quite a lot would need to happen. You would need to have a, an atomic war, um, and then also, um, yeah, these these bombs need to be dropped in in sufficient quantity to actually cause a nuclear winter, and that must happen. And then you would also need to have a complete human extinction because of it. Mm. So it's it doesn't seem very likely, even though an atomic war itself is probably more likely. But this is only estimated at one in thousands probability, mm. uh, which is fairly small for an existential risk compared to the uh, to the previous ones. Mm. <coughs> Um, and then climate, I guess. Is, is a yeah, that's a big one. <laughs> Let's just uh, finish these. <laughs> yeah, the list. <laughs> finish the list. It's not the most uplifting topic, but it's very interesting. Uh, yeah. uh, academically, it's very interesting. And what I think is really fascinating is that we're not we're not really uh, trying to, to reduce the existential risk in a structured way. Um, while you would say that this, this should be uh, the highest priority for... Uh, for many institutes, but uh, but it's it's not really in practice. So I think that's that's super interesting that there's so much low hanging fruit there, and yeah. still the topics are so important that it's really uh, interesting to to look into. Yeah. Um, and climate change, maybe to finish the uh, not quite finish the list, but uh, this this is definitely also one that's that's very high on the on the public agenda, which is very yeah. good. I think yeah. climate change is, is an example of a topic that is very important, uh, and there's also a lot of attention for it. Um, so that's basically good. I think personally, we should have solved it maybe 20 years ago. Uh, we are solving it now, I would say personally. Um, that's that's late, but um, it is it is happening. Um, so I would say, um, yeah, this is something that's, that's very serious, but there's also a lot of attention uh, for it. Mm. Um, and as an existential risk, so uh, to cause actual human extinction uh, only by climate change, that seems to be quite a small probability. Although it's not zero, because the the, um, the speed at which we are emitting carbon dioxide in the, into the atmosphere 
Uh, that has never happened before, actually. It has never gone so fast as what we're doing now. Mm. Uh, the temperature increase, that has happened before. So that seems to be safe, uh, at least in the sense that we're not going to have any runaway effects only because of the temperature increase, probably. But mm. the speed is, uh, is something new. Uh, so it could be that there is an unknown effect that we don't really see in climate models and that's uh, that's going to lead to some kind of a, a, a horrible outcome. So th- the chance is small uh, and I think it's it's not a, uh, there's not too much uh, research on, on this. Uh, but by, by Toby Ort, is, uh, um, um, he's uh, claiming that there's about a one in thousand probability for this one. So it's also one of the smaller existential risks. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because that's some some of the things we're talking the most about. Uh, but I guess also maybe not from the view of existential risk, but just because of like the problem, like with like yeah, plastic right. pollution, yes. like uh, for example, like just like many people caring about it because it in itself is like an important air area, but maybe not like the most important to focus on. Yeah, I think so. I think so too, for sure. This is uh, it's definitely important for non-existential reasons, mostly to do something about about climate change or to try to make it. Uh, um, not too bad, at least, but uh, uh, mm. but for the existential risks, it's uh, it's considered a relatively minor one. Yeah, that's good to hear, actually. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> some good news here as yeah, well. So yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty uh, dark episode with existential risks. It's not. It is fun to work on, surprisingly, but it's mm. uh, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's not not always easy to think about. It's for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So cool. Um, should we then? Well, like, is that the list or are there any other you think? Perhaps we haven't covered the natural existential risks yet. Yeah. Uh, so, um, for example, super volcanoes and asteroid strikes. These are mm. the most uh, um, um, most prominent natural uh, existential risks. Um, and asteroid strikes are especially well known, actually, because we, we have a pretty good uh, data on how many... Uh, uh, bodies there are in in uh, the universe that could uh, uh, come down to Earth, and what uh, what the size of that would be, and we also have geological data, uh, so we can estimate pretty well what the chances of uh, of an asteroid strike here, of at least of uh, of the size that uh, that could uh, make us go extinct. We also have a starting defense system. Uh, NASA recently did some work on uh, deflecting uh, uh, okay. something like an asteroid, so uh, we can quite likely actually do something about it and we also have a detection system so it's it's fairly likely that we can see it coming so we know that the chance is very small and we can also quite probably do something about it so that's actually one of the risks that uh, existential risk community is least worried about I think Um, and super volcanoes are somewhat less uh, well understood and there's not that much I think that you can do about it uh, right now Mm. Um, but it is a very well-known probability because you simply know how many times a supervolcano uh, has erupted in the past, so you can uh, put a pretty good probability uh, figure on on the, um, how likely it is that would that this would happen now, and it does mm. seem very unlikely. So it's also not the most uh, uh, prominent one that we have to worry about right now. I think. Mm. Are there any any, any other natural? Uh Existential risk. I think this is this is kind of the list uh, yeah. <laughs> right now. So I think we're through now. Yeah. Okay, awesome. <laughs> the, the, there must be others as well. Actually, Toby Ort is also including a category others. Um, and I've, mm. I've included nanotechnology from this category because I think that's a relatively uh, prominent one. But there are, are definitely a lot of other existential risks uh, as mm. well, but with very small uh, probabilities. So I, I think this, this list is, the, is, is probably the most important one. Yeah. Amazing. So we have moved through the list uh, of like the biggest existential risks and threats. 
Um, but you're working with communicating this, um, which is one way to help us not end up uh, getting one of the risks take over our world, I guess. If that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, this is... Uh, no, definitely. I think communication is uh, is an important part for sure. And people are trying to to develop different strategies to to reduce those risks, uh, which is actually one reason that they're, they're now... So Toby Ort was estimating them roughly at one in six. So the, the role of a dice or perhaps a game of Russian roulette were the metaphors that he was using. Wow. Um, and uh, this is... And he said if there would be no action taken, he would estimate more like one in three. Um, so it, it, it definitely does matter a lot what, what we're doing to reduce those uh, those risks. There's a lot of leeway actually to do something about it, I think. Yeah. So what, what are the ways we can uh, go ahead to reduce uh, the risks? Um, I think right now it's... Um, Research is definitely a big part of this. Um, mm. So right now, uh, so Toby Ord wrote uh, the precipice, which is one of the, the key works on this, but there aren't a lot of other uh, books and th- there are some researchers, there may be 50 to 100 researchers or something in, uh, along that line, mm. along those lines, um, but not too many. So I think if we would, uh, would emphasize this much more on research, it's obviously uh, an important topic. So I think there would be a lot of universities, for example, that could be doing research on this that are not yet. Mm. So that's a big uh, opportunity, I think. Mm. Um, nice. So research is definitely a, a big part of what you, you can do about it. Um, and apart from this, it also uh, depends on the existential risk that you're looking at. Uh, different risks require different treatments. For example, the, the unknown unknowns, that's really, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one. So if mm. you just have an institution there um, that's that's looking out for, for potential existential threats, uh, that would help a lot already. Um, and doing research into this, making sure that, that you follow the latest scientific uh, developments and that you're looking out for something that's uh, replicable, for example, um, or that's, uh, um, that's, uh, that expands in some, some uncontrollable way uh, or mm. that has the potential to do so. Um, I think that that could really be helpful for, for the unknown unknowns too. Um, so, yeah, again, research is a big part, I think. Exactly. And, and can you just explain the word uh, replicable? Um, yeah, if something uh, replicates, such as a virus, for example, mm-hmm. um, a virus that says, um, yeah, uh, uh, one virus can reproduce and it can grow inside your body. And then, of course, it can can uh, uh, jump to other people. So uh, th- there's an unchecked um, um, replication of, uh, um, of this. And um, if something behaves in that way, it's usually uh, connected to exponential growth. Um, then it means it could uh, it could get out of hand quite uh, quickly. So it's important mm. to to control it then in some way. Is that kind of it may be out of track here, but is that kind of like with like invasive species, like they come one place and then just like bam, they're like everywhere and taking over. Yeah, it's same, or, same. Uh, no, yeah, I, I think it's a. Uh, um, it's definitely a useful way to think about it. I think, and, yeah. and of course, those, those species are not not taking over in an existential risk uh, way, but yeah, uh, no. but but it, it is it is hmm. uh, um, yeah uh, progressing in the same in the same uh, method. I think yes. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. yeah um do we have some other ways of uh okay so we said research yeah some more things that we can do about it um so um i i think regulation in general is is also uh, a big part of the solution um for many of these existential risks it does depend which risk and it there's a lot of leeway in, in regulation you could try to to regulate things in such a way that that, that um, 
um, the best actor or the most responsible actor is getting first to a technology, and then they can can produce it in uh, uh, in a way that's uh, that's least risky. Mm. Um, but you can also try to apply the precautionary principle. Uh, so this means that that basically you will not uh, develop a technology until it is proven to be safe. But then yeah. someone would also need to maintain that precautionary principle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that uh, for sure requires regulation as well. Is that with like um, uh, like uh, like open AI stuff maybe or like open source uh, stuff? Like I don't have much knowledge about it. Uh, I'm just throwing out some words here. Uh, that I think is relevant. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, if if we focus on AI, um, yeah. then I think uh, in, indeed you have these these two uh, ways of managing risks are, are probably the most important ones. So for safety, it, it, um, um, this is the field of AI safety that's that's trying to make AI as as uh, safe as possible or AI alignment also. Mm. Um, and big uh, AI companies such as OpenAI, but also DeepMind, are trying to to align AI, and they do have uh, AI safety departments. Mm. Um, and also outside of those companies in academia, there is an increasing amount of research into uh, how to create AI safely. Mm. Um, so that's definitely uh, um, one approach that's, uh, that's being tried. Mm. Um, AI regulation is, uh, uh, could be another approach. Uh, it can be pretty hard as well, because if you regulate uh, leading companies such as OpenAI and DeepMind, um, but do not change what, what other people could be doing, uh, then hardware... Uh, progress is probably going to continue. So the hardware is going to get better and better on which the AI can run. Mm. Um, and right now we still have a situation where only a few companies are uh, able to to amass enough hardware and get enough data and get mm. the experts uh, uh, there um, to work with uh, the really uh, leading models. Uh, but at some point, if you regulate those companies and hardware progress continues, perhaps we get into a situation where uh, a lot of people can do this. Mm. Um, and that would actually make it harder to regulate. So um, um, regulation is an option, um, but regulating the only the leading actors also uh, could uh, um, increase the risk as well. Mm. Um, and to get into regulation, then it's like policy and so on. Like yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and people are definitely working on that as well. For example, yeah. uh, AI Gov is trying to uh, to work on policy um, and other uh, future of life institutes and others as well. Yeah. Amazing. I also uh, like of everything we say of like resources and so on and names. I will just put them in the description so people can check it out. Yeah, great. Yeah, okay, just great. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah, the book of Toby Ord. Yeah. As you mentioned a lot, I th- I th- I yeah, think that's right. Because th- there's not too much work on uh, on existential risk, so we really yeah. have to cite uh, the few things that that are there, um, yeah. or at least uh, the, uh, the few proper books. But um, maybe website? I can use the opportunity to to point to a few other ones that are yeah. also uh, useful. Yeah, um, especially for AI, uh, human compatible by Stuart Russell. Stuart Russell is a leading uh, AI professor. Um, and uh, Human Compatible is his uh, book where he points out um, his view on existential risk, but also his way of, of dealing with this. Mm. Um, he's trying to do research uh, for AI safety as well to, to make sure to align AI to our values. Mm. Um, and another one is Superintelligence. That's kind of the seminal work of the field, you might say, by mm. Nick Bostrom. Uh, Nick Bostrom is working uh, uh, with Toby Ort at the Future of Humanity Institute. Um, and he is, uh, yeah, he's one of the, the founding fathers, I would say, of the field of uh, AI safety. And mm. uh, his book is really outlining, he's a philosopher, um, but he's outlining in a lot, a lot of detail um, how, the, how AI could cause an existential risk and what the, the, um, uh, the things are to, to keep track of. So that's mm. super intelligence by Bostrom. Amazing. 
Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, let's see. Okay, so we have research, uh, regulations, uh, communication we touched on a little bit, or do you want to go deeper into that maybe? Yeah, we can definitely exp- expand on that, I think. Yeah. Um, cool. Communication is, is uh, useful, um, I think, for both of these, uh, um, both of these solution directions. Perhaps it's good to also mention a third one that's other solutions. Some things are not regulation and not AI safety um, or another technology uh, safety, um, but are still at least aimed at reducing existential risk. And uh, a nice example, I think, is uh, uh, Neuralink by Elon Musk. Um, He's also um, definitely uh, uh, concerned by AI existential risk. And his approach is to link the human brains with uh, with AI uh, because uh, through mm-hmm. Neuralink, um, and in that way, uh, um, there would still be some control, some human control at least of uh, of the AI. Um, so while I personally don't think that this uh, this solution is going to work, it's definitely an interesting uh, approach, and it's interesting to see that that there are also things that are not safety and uh, mm. regulation and and also being tried. Um, but yeah, in terms of communication, I think communication should help with uh, uh, all three of these solution directions. Um, so if we communicate this uh, to the societal debate so that it becomes more of a mainstream topic, uh, mm. then it should help for regulation. I think for regulation, it's, mm. it's kind of uh, um, yeah, easy to see and it's, it's, it's necessary to have an informed society to be able to regulate things in, uh, in general, especially if this regulation also has downsides uh, then it it needs to have a clear reason to to implement it mm. um, so for regulation it's uh, it's an obvious uh, um, thing that helps but also for AI safety uh, you need talent uh, it's not super funding constrained because it does have uh, a lot of uh, um, yeah, billionaires and tech CEOs people like Elon Musk people like Bill Gates uh, Jan Tallinn mm. uh, they're investing in um, um, in AI safety research so there is generally uh, money to do this research but it is coming from few sources, so it would also be healthy, I think, if this uh, would be coming also from governments, for example, if governments would, um, any government, I think, right now there's only maybe 300 people working on AI safety and existential risk in uh, mm-hmm. in the world, and any government has the power to, to double that, uh, so that could really be an impactful uh, uh, change, I think, so mm-hmm. that's something that informing the societal debates uh, could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so talent, funding... I would say more institutes working on it, universities working on it, for example. Mm. Um, higher robustness of a solution. Uh, it's, it's kind of a um, still uh, uh, white and male uh, topic and mm. kind of Anglo-Saxon. Mm. Um, and I think it would be really useful if this is uh, more broadly known and also more broadly uh, debated and, and solved in the end. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did, did, did you have something... Um, so I think that's that's uh, um, th- these are definitely important reasons to communicate. Uh, mm-hmm. What's interesting is that communication uh, has been done by people, um, for example, by by the author of Superintelligence, Nick Bostrom. He has given interviews. Um, uh, Toby Ort has given interviews. So this topic is uh, has been put on the on the public agenda, and of course also by, pe- by people uh, such as Elon Musk. Mm. Um, but it's still. Um, a relatively niche uh, topic, or at least the, I, I don't have the feeling that the arguments have been laid out um, well enough for people to, uh, to to do much about it. Mm. Um, so I think there's still a big chance of, uh, and be also because there seems to be quite a bit of funding in uh, existential risk reduction uh, mm. because of the interest of those, uh, uh, those billionaires. 
Um, so I think there's a big opportunity to do public outreach much better. Um, mm. And I'm happy that you're also uh, helping on this uh, <laughs> with the podcast right now. So. <laughs> yeah. Thank you too. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Huh. And this yeah. is also what the Observatory is doing, of course. So that's, uh, yeah, that's exactly, exactly uh, uh, why I've, I've set up this, uh, uh, this non-profit. Mm. Yeah. Maybe, uh, should I yeah. go a little bit into that? Or? Yeah, can you do that? Yeah, yeah definitely. Of course. Um, so yeah, my, my uh, background was more into to, uh, um, climate uh, um, and not that much into existential risk. But when I did get into existential risk, I quickly noticed that there was a lot of attention for trying to technically solve uh, AI safety, especially. Yeah. Uh, but not that much into um, trying to uh, to raise awareness about this um, to perhaps help with regulation um, approaches um, and also not that much in yeah the raising awareness I think is, is really useful in many ways even if you would uh, solve AI safety technically for example uh, then it's still a big question of who has the power over this AI then you're going to have this this massively controllable apparently but still uh, massively uh, powerful technology um, and it's a, a very big question I think who's um, um, who's controlling this and I think it would really benefit from a democratic discussion uh, about this topic to hopefully um, control it also in a, in a democratic way so that it would be useful for everyone. Um, that's that's one thing. Another mm. thing is um, if you have even if you have air safety, you still have to implement it everywhere. Uh, so that that would also probably uh, need some kind of uh, some kind of regulation. So there are many reasons, um, and also for the other existential risks, uh, there are many reasons why uh, I think that everyone should be informed about this, and we should uh, try to uh, uh, make a coordinated response so that we reduce effective uh, uh, as effectively as possible the existential risks. Mm. Uh, can people take part in your organization? Um, like how? Yes, we we do uh, work with volunteers. Uh, so if people would want to help us, um, I, I think in general people can take part in communicating this. So I would say mm. uh, my, my advice, if you would like to reduce existential risk yourselves, mm. uh, is first very much read into the topic. That's that's very useful. Uh, you really want to have a detailed knowledge of. Uh, um, of, of what exactly is happening and also talk to some people that uh, that are working on this. Mm. Um, that's that's definitely useful. Um, some some people could still fund, but I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for most of us because uh, there's already a lot of funding from from uh, tech billionaires going into this. So if you do have happen to have a lot of money and you do happen to uh, know people who are uh, still constrained by funding, uh, then this could could also be useful. Mm. Um, but something uh, a bit easier, I think, is to uh, to talk to people around you. That's important, uh, especially if you, if, you, if you have a platform, if you know a journalist, but also on a smaller scale through through friends and family. Um, perhaps you are working at a university, then you could do research yourself. Uh, perhaps you're a student at the university, you could talk to, to professors or your faculty um, and uh, um, try them to, to do research on, uh, um, on existential risk or on AI safety or related topics. Um, I th- you could also change your career, especially many junior students aren't really sure what, uh, uh, what they should do, but they do want to have an impact. Um, if you're in that position, then you could uh, talk to people at 80,000 hours, for example. Mm. Or even if you're more senior in your career, you could also um, yeah, um, uh, talk to people over there uh, and get advice on how to uh, make your career the most impactful possible. 
And especially if you're interested in existential risk, then they should be able to point you in the, the right direction of what's the best way for you to reduce those risks. Um, and related, you could also vis visit uh, a local chapter of uh, effective altruism. Um, effective altruism is a movement that's trying to do the most good possible. Perhaps uh, you've already introduced this in uh, different episodes, or perhaps not. <laughs> it's mentioned a lot, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, so, <thank> you. <laughs> so this is also, uh, they're, they're very um, interested in existential risks as well. Um, so it's definitely useful to talk to people there and uh, get pointers on, uh, on where to go to reduce those risks. Mm. Um, so I think these are the, the most prominent ways that, that I can think of at least uh, um, to, uh, um, to reduce existential risk. And what, one important point I think is that you can actually uh, do quite a lot probably because there are um, quite a few people working on this. Perhaps uh, uh, globally about 300 people are actually full-time uh, working on reducing existential risks. Mm. Um, and that's a very small number. That's a very small uh, so number. if if yeah. you are number three hundred and one, you know, then you can really make a difference. There there are loads of very neglected things. Mm. For example, uh, this is um, yeah w one nice example that that I know of that uh, the nuclear winter has been modeled uh, between the uh, uh, for an atomic war between the U.S. and uh, and Russia or the former Soviet Union, perhaps. Um, but it hasn't been done for a, um, yeah, a nuclear exchange between China and the US, for example. So basically, we don't really know if there would be a nuclear winter in such case, which is kind of crazy because uh, it's, it's a very high impact thing. It's not even that unlikely, perhaps, for the next 100 years. And you would really want to have that information, but simply no one looked into it yet. So um, it's, it's quite a neglected topic with a lot of low-hanging fruit. So that's really the fun as well from, from working in this, uh, especially if you're, you're working for one of those organizations for some time, then I'm, I'm pretty sure that you're going to have ideas on how to, uh, how to make things better and how to reduce risks more effectively. So there's really a lot of opportunities still there. Amazing. Cool. Yeah, there's some, a lot of advice. So I hope that people will, yeah, maybe get involved um, and also reach out and like read the books and so on. I'm also going to read uh, The Precipice. Yeah. Is yeah, that how definitely. I say it? Do you think yeah, so? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I just got it. So then, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, also, like, it would, would, would be awesome to, like, talk uh, at a later time when, like, also my knowledge is much better <laughs> yeah. at this topic. <laughs> <Yeah>. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, but so how... Um, I'm curious about, like, what, what, what are your plans, uh, like, ahead? Um, yeah, so for the Existential Risk Observatory, it's, it's one of the, the organizations that's also uh, still having a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit. So... Uh, we started by by just piloting and see if a small organization could uh, significantly uh, increase the, the existential risk debate in one country, which is my home country, the Netherlands. Um, and that uh, um, has worked. So now we're, we're thinking of how to expand it most effectively. We just got uh, the first funding from uh, Survival and Flourishing Foundation and the um, International Center for Future Generations to, um, um, yeah, uh, those organizations are in turn funded by people who uh, really care about uh, the future of humanity. So that's, uh, um, that's nice. Um, but with this funding, so what we want to do is expand as efficiently as possible. So now we're most, uh, mostly researching in what's the most effective outreach option. Uh, we've mm. piloted uh, op-eds in newspapers and also reaching out to, to journalists and leaders of the societal debates and uh, mm. um, yeah, uh, trying to get a, a societal debate going. 
Um, but perhaps we, we haven't done much with uh, with social media actually yet, uh, and mm. also not uh, not a lot with some other uh, methods of outreach. So we want to test what's actually the most effective way of uh, um, um, yeah of in improving people's uh, knowledge position on this. Yeah. Hmm. Amazing. Do you have any last thoughts? Um, yeah, so I, th I think we, we covered quite uh, uh, things quite extensively already. So I'm mm. really happy with uh, uh, the, the space that you're, you're uh, giving here and with, with all, the, uh, um, yeah, all the podcasts that you're making, not only on this topic, but no doubt also on many other uh, very important topics mm. that, that, uh, uh, that are, are covered here. So, um, so thanks a lot for, for the opportunity to, uh, uh, to increase the, the knowledge of, of people on this topic. So I think it's very important and um, I hope that uh, that many people are going to be inspired to to at least read into the topic, but also talk about it, and uh, uh, in the end, uh, yeah, reduce existential risk because that's uh, that's of course an important thing. So, uh, thanks a lot for uh, giving the opportunity to do this. Amazing! Thank you so much, Otto. Thanks everyone for watching and listening. Um, X risk is like so so much, and I still have a lot to learn. I know, but hopefully, we learn like a little bit more. Um, and if you want to learn even more about it, then remember to check the description for all the relevant links about what we talked about. I have also decided to not uh, run any ads on this podcast. So if you uh, would like to support this podcast, um, you can become a patron or something. Like I will leave uh, some links in the description uh, for more ways to support it if you'd like. And as well as this is the start of the podcast, I would really, really appreciate like any feedback um, that you have. And if there's any topics you think should be talked more about, and if you have any specific guests, uh, please let me know. Like, I would love to know. And um, yeah, I think that's it. I really hope you enjoyed or learned something new. And I hope I will see you or we will talk in the next episode. <laughs> okay, bye-bye.